We uh, began talking to you about this process of transformation known as sanctification. How many glad that he saves and he justifies? Amen. Yes. How many glad you are adopted and you are his kid today? Yes. Amen. Ooh, yeah. And we talked about how we've been redeemed from the curse, which means you're all blessed today. Yes. Room full of blessed people. Yes. Not a curse among us. Yes. Just a bunch of blessed people. Yeah. <laughs> and then we began to talk about how sanctification, like these other processes, is what God uh, uses to conform us to the image of Christ, going from one form to another. And sanctification in particular is, is important for us to grasp and understand, just not as a theological concept, but practically how does this work? How can we partner with God on sanctification and see this happen to our lives? So let me just remind you what it means. All sanctification is, is a separation from sin, amen, and a separation unto God. In other words, we're set apart, amen. Anybody here have some fine china at home? Or some fine paper plate china, whatever. Uh, and uh, do, you, do you bring it out every day? No. Sometimes it sits behind a glass case. It gets never used. Amen. But there's a reason why you do that. Because it's what? It's special. may have come as an heirloom, may have been summoned as a gift, a wedding gift. You've been married seven years and that's special to you. Whatever the case may be. It's for sacred and special purposes just in the natural. And that's what God has done for you. Now, you don't take your china after Thanksgiving, leave all the dirt and food on it, and throw it back in the cupboard. Why? Because it's extra special. And today, God would say to you, you're extra special to Him. Amen. And the process of getting you, conforming you to the image of Christ is sanctification. You're going from one form to another. You're being set apart from something and set apart unto something. That unto something, of course, is, is God Himself. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time rehashing what we talked about last week. It is online in every form and every format. It's also on our podcast. But I just want to remind you why this is so important. Uh, sanctification is required for Christ's likeness. How many want to be like Christ? Yes. Isn't that reason enough? Amen, to participate. When I say participate in sanctification, it'll make a whole lot more sense when I'm done today. But to participate in sanctification, to become Christ-like. Number two, it shows honor to God. When you live right, when you talk right, when you act right, when you think right, it's honorable to God. How many believe that Christians should live a certain way and distinct from this world? We should live in a way that is honorable and pleasing to the Lord. Third, the anointing is directly tied to your sanctification. The more separated you are, the more anointed you're going to be. And there are a lot of religious people who don't like that because it puts what? The responsibility not on God. I've often said this because he's a hero of mine. I appreciate how God transformed his life and used him in this past century but Smith Wigglesworth was often asked, what is the secret of your power? How do you flow in such power? Eleven people raised from the dead. So many instantaneous, supernatural, creative miracles. Amen. Deliverances from cancer and souls galore. People baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm in the Word all the time. He says, I'm praying all the time in the Holy Ghost. And he said, I live a holy life. Most people say, yes, get in the Word, praise the Lord. Yes, pray in the Holy Ghost. Let me say, holy, holy hush comes down on the congregation. As if it's a four-letter word. And it is. <laughs> but 
not that kind. <laughs> I got two rows here, and they can count. Isn't that marvelous? One, two, three. You're before. <laughs> we should get excited about being in the Word all the time. He is set on a train with his Bible just like this, minding his own business, constantly in the Word of God, constantly praying in the Holy Ghost. He was always on the active ready, but he didn't have to go repent for five days what he'd been doing before he went to do a ministry. He walked and he lived holy. Watch this, day by day, moment by moment, second by second. And so can you. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And my point is, yes, it's about being Christ-like. It's about honoring God. But it's also tied to how much God on flesh doing what flesh can't do flows in and through your life. How much anointing, supernatural power to do what God's called you to do. It's tied to how you live. Now the world is going, you know, a thousand miles an hour in the other direction. And the church should never sanction what they're doing. We don't condemn anybody, but we do not sanction what they're doing because as they grow and grow more unholy, you and I should become more and more spotless, not infected by what they're doing. Why? Because the anointing matters. Another thing is confidence. You and I can't pray for people, minister, live this life when we're constantly feeling condemned because of the things we have done. When you're living right, there's a confidence about you. Not an arrogance about you, a confidence about you. When you're living right, you're confident that God is hearing you. You're confident in what you're doing. You're confident in the things He has you doing. It's just a different kind of a spirit. Unlike the rest of the world, it's constantly under condemnation, swinging between what they permit and what they're sorry they're permitted. But you know what? Living in holiness makes you constant. God li likes constant, consistent, boring believers. Are you here today? Boring believers? No, they're just not up and down and in and out and all over the map. They're just what? They're constant. That's a good thing. And it's a good thing to be that way when, in terms of, of that holiness because it gives you confidence. And the last is just a simple, simple principle of purpose. God has a purpose for every person in this room. And he wants you to be vessels unto honor. But he's not the only one that has something to say about whether you're a vessel unto honor or not. You and I do. And we don't take the holy things of God like that wicked king and have an orgy and a drunken party with the vessels from the temple. Now you are the temple. How much more important is it that you be aware that you should be holy in what you do, what you think, and what you say? Holiness has really gotten a bad rap through the years. Uh, it's been misapplied, misinterpreted as how long your sleeves are if you're a lady, how far down your dress goes, whether you're wearing makeup or not, whether your hair's in a bun or not, whether you're wearing jewelry or not, and all these externals. But God was after the heart all along. And when the heart's right, it impacts every other part of our existence. Are you here today? So the truth of the matter is, everybody in this room ought to get excited about holiness because of what it does. Come on, say it. It makes me like Christ. It makes me honorable. It makes me anointed. It makes me confident. It gives me purpose. Well, I just thought it was a bunch of don'ts. That's the problem. You didn't have revelation on what it actually would do in your life. You know with God, it's never just about the don'ts. There's always a reason behind what He commands or what he limits in our life. Glory to God. 
So the assignment today is to teach you about the five agents of sanctification that I see in Scripture. And I want you to, to take these down. And I want you to get in partnership with these principles and live this way. Because if we're not careful as preachers, and, and I don't care who you are at some point in time, if you're in the ministry, you've done this. You've you shouted out platitudes. You told people do this and do that. But if they're not told how to do it, you've given them great platitudes and you've given them a target to shoot at. Now what they need now is some training. They need to know how to actually put themselves in position to be sanctified so they can enjoy everything that accompanies sanctification. In fact, uh, the devil has kind of just you know limited and put a cap on understanding when it comes to holiness and sanctification. And the Lord would like to take that cap off today. Say it with me. I have the mind of Christ. Say it boldly. I'm receiving right now, today, revelation on sanctification and holiness I've never had before. Can you receive that? I want to start with this over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because you can see the, the heart of God coming through the Apostle Paul's writings. Very, very powerfully, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. This is not going out to the world. Amen. It's not going out to everybody in their various perversions. He's talking to the church. We request and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel even more. He's saying, you know what? You're on the right track. Now let's take it up some notches. You're doing this the right way. Keep going. Don't go back. But now let's even improve. Let's excel in something even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What's Paul saying? I want you to excel in sanctification. Come on, say that. I want to excel. In sanctification. You remember in 2 Corinthians 9 where Paul challenged the Corinthians to excel in this grace of giving. Does that make sense? Here he's talking about excelling in this grace or in this position or in this, you know, understanding of sanctification. Excel means to go to the highest level. There are too many people living the lowest common denominator lives. He wants you to excel. And if you're going to excel in sanctification, you're going to have to get your eyes off of other people, including other believers, and get your eyes on the one you're supposed to be comparing yourself to. Because guess who's up there at the apex? Guess who excels more than anyone? The Lord himself. And that's what he's saying here. That's our standard. He's like, you got a heart to do this. Now take it up even more, further than you ever have before. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now shout that out. Sanctification, sanctification is, is God's, God's will. will. Anybody here ever cry out, oh God, what's your will? Oh God, what's your will? Oh, show me your will. Show me your will. Show me your will. <laughs> and then the scripture says God's will is sanctification. sanctification. Right Amen. Uh, there are several of these in scripture where the Lord just says emphatically, this is what his will is. It's His will that you be thankful. Yes. Amen. It's His will 
that you be sanctified, that you receive the Lord and instantly you're sanctified, but then it's a progressive process over time. In other words, why would he say this if you got everything you got the day you got born again? Now, how many of you weren't born last night under a rock, but you're smart enough to know that you didn't get fully sanctified the day you got born again? And how many of you that are married to them know that's true? They, <laughs> they were not instantly sanctified, and that was it. It's instant and progressive. But guess what? It's His will that you be sanctified. Read on. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. You're not supposed to be on the same level of behavior and attitude and mentality as the world when it comes to sexuality. You're supposed to be sanctified. And notice what he says here that you possess. You take some responsibility for the sanctification and honor of that vessel. Watch this. And that no one violate the rights and take advantage of the brother or sister in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you previously and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. Therefore, the one who rejects us is not rejecting man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Everybody say, thank God. Thank now, one more time, say, God's will, God's will. is sanctification. Um, you know, the matter, truth of the matter is, and I've never been led to do like uh, 50 weeks on this. I, I mean, no, I'm capable. <laughs> I, I just haven't been impressed to. But I do want to make sure that I cover this, that, uh, you know, too many ways the church in terms of purity is looking more like the world than the church should be looking like. And in an attempt to be relevant and, and gracious, people won't call things out and deal with things in terms of the behavior of the body of Christ, thinking you're helping them, thinking you're actually doing something for them. No, what you're doing is you're holding them back from being confident and honorable and anointed. Can I have an amen? You're holding them back from being Christ-like. You're holding them back from their purpose when you won't address these things. So as far as our church goes, as far as our leadership team goes, as far as this pulpit goes, as far as this platform goes, I think we're going to stay on the holy side, if you don't mind. We're going to stay on the side where we do speak the Word of God and the truth in love because people need us to. You're not doing a favor not addressing these things from the pulpit. You're not. You're actually harming people. Whatever the motivation is, a hyper sense of grace or a false sense of love or fear, whatever it is, we have to address these things. We should not have the same things going on in the house of God that are going on outside these doors. We should be living differently, talking differently, operating differently. And it's not about you being perfect or arrived. It is a process. But you know what you should have? You should have at least a desire to be sanctified. And if you don't, that's a problem. Somebody say, oh God, give me a desire to be sanctified, to live right, to think right, to talk right. That's a really good starting point, isn't it? And now take that counsel of the apostle and then now excel in that. It's a great focal point today, and I think that's the way we can go with this is that these, these agents will help you excel in sanctification. 
Let's take them one by one. First of all, the Father Himself sanctifies. How does He do that? Well, listen to these scriptures in Jude chapter uh, 1, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. You know, God didn't say, be holy. He actually is involved in making you holy. Isn't that wonderful? He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Amen. Say it with me. Total life. Sanctification. Total life, holiness, spirit, soul, and body. Now, congratulations in terms of your spirit today. You are perfectly holy. Who did that? The Lord did that. And in fact, there's no such thing as an unholy born-again person. Does that make sense? But in terms of your mind, your will, and your emotions, what you are thinking, amen, whether you're allowing the will of God to be pursued or you're pursuing some other will or you're allowing your emotions to run your life away from God or towards the things of God, you let the Word of God lead you. And to the extent that you're harnessing that body, to that extent, the, the sanctification is moved not just from the spirit of man, but body, soul, and spirit. He wants you to be holy in every aspect of your life. Amen. Years ago, you know, uh, Glory Copeland got, got on this really, really heavy and started talking about this, and then Jerry Savelle, then they started making fun of him, calling him Holy Jerry. I'll tell you what, that was a compliment. I said that was a high compliment. They may have thought it as a slam, but it's a high compliment for somebody to even say jokingly, You're holy. Amen. And so you look at this. And you see that God Himself is involved in your sanctification. He's not just telling you be sanctified. It's His will that you're sanctified because it is, but actually gets involved with your sanctification. He's actively involved with you right now. You're more holy than you were a year ago because God is involved in your life. Aren't you glad He's not out there somewhere in the atmosphere? He's a very present help in time of need. Watch this. Be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. How many like that scripture? But oftentimes it's applied to other promises or aspects. You know what promise it's applied to here in context? He's faithful to do it. He will sanctify you. He promised it, and He will do it. Turn to somebody and tell them, He's going to bring His promise to pass in your life. What does that tell you? It tells you he's invested in this. It tells you that he cares about this and he's personally involved in it. You say, how does the Father sanctify? Well, he sanctifies us, of course, with the love that he has for us. Amen. Um, I love this scripture in 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. That love actually leads you out of sin and bondage. It leads you into holiness. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? It's not God beating us up that leads us to repentance. With that in mind, just, just turn real quickly over, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 15.
When you're there, say, I am there. Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in a wild living. And he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to, feed, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill the stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Everybody say, When he came to his senses. I'll sit down and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and asked him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, he doesn't even reply to this. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? To celebrate. You know, I was meditating on this scripture. The Spirit of God spoke to me. Here's something that uh, I want you to, to see. And I'm like, okay, you show me that something I haven't seen about this. What we don't realize is just we see the Father going out there. And I feel like daily going out there looking for that son to come back. Does that sound like somebody who doesn't want to sanctify him? In reality, this young man is still his father's son. But he is severely not sanctified. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And the body of Christ is filled with people, with bondages and things that they're dealing with. They're in the pig pen and they want to get out. But God's love is central to getting them out. And this is what he began to speak to me. You know, that, uh, that robe and that, uh, that ring and those sandals, he already had them set aside. He already had forethought of restoration. He's coming home, and when he does, I want you to be ready. Put that robe and the ring and sandals in the right place, and when I say, you go and grab them, because my son's coming home. That's the love of God. Not beating him up. Not condemning him, not accusing him, not rehashing all the things he has done, the gunny sack of all the problems and how you dishonor me. No, it was one thing he had in mind, getting his son back and getting him on the road to sanctification again. Amen. You don't believe God's involved in it? It's his robe of righteousness, amen? It's his ring of dominion. There are his sandals of, 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 of sonship, amen? And it's his calf. No one is more excited about your sanctification than your heavenly Father. No one. And if you're struggling with some kind of a pig pen, you need to see that He is a loving and gracious God. It is His kindness that will lead you to repentance. Just don't stay in that pen another day. Just go ahead and get it out. Amen. Glory to God. Because your heavenly Father actually is an agent of your sanctification. And he always will be. Well, I can't believe that, Pastor. It seems like he's got an awful lot to do. I'm practically a full-time job myself. How could he possibly have time for everybody else? Well, he's God. He's all-knowing. Amen. He's all-powerful. He's a good God. Say it with me. He's a good God. 
Let me give you the second one here. Not only does the Father sanctify us, the blood of Christ sanctifies us. It started with a new birth. <laughs> but do you know that you should be using the blood every single day of your life? Not just when you got born again. What it does is it actually cleanses, but it also prevents. A lot of Christians have been trained to think when I'm in sin or have a problem, then I need to get cleansed, and that's true. But it also prevents. What am I talking about? When you're presented with this idea, this concept, this opportunity to walk in less than a sanctified way, either in your thought life or your words or what you do with your body, what you should do is don't wait, but plead the blood of Jesus. Plead it. It not only has cleansing power, it has keeping power. It has preserving power. We know that uh, in terms of Scripture and Revelation that they overcame them by what? The blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and loving out their lives even unto death. They literally, as, as, as people of God, could overcome the evil one with what? With the blood of the Lamb. Well, who do you think is enticing you to be less than sanctified? Who do you think is trying to get a hold of your words? Who's trying to get a hold of your mind? Who's trying to get a hold of your body? Who's trying to entice you to do these things? They overcame them by what? The blood of the Lamb. When you're enticed to do something, open up your mouth and say, no, I plead the blood of the Lamb over this in Jesus' name. I'll tell you what, you'll practically hear the devil scream when you say it. Well, I did the blood thing when I got saved. You know, I don't see how it's necessary. You need it every single day of your life. You just don't need the cleansing power. You need what? The protecting power. Understand this. Wickedness won't cross that bloodline if you will what? Enact it in your life. You're tempted to say something stupid. I know nobody in here ever does or says anything stupid. Raise your hand if you've ever done anything stupid. You're about to say something stupid. Instead of saying something stupid or hurtful, amen, or vengeful or gossipy or whatever, just let these words come out of your mouth. No, I plead the blood over my mouth. That will freak everybody out around you. Anybody here ever do anything stupid? Y'all remember my story last week about the parking garage? I got a note from my dear sister after service. I go, here we go. <laughs> and it said, she had two anointed or, or two words from God for me. <laughs> I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. This is what she wrote on the paper, valet parking. <laughs> Come on, say it with me, valet parking. Instead of saying or doing something stupid, how about I plead the blood? Listen, we are really good at pleading the blood after we blow it. How about pleading the blood before you blow it? That's how powerful it is. Amen. And don't y'all laugh at me. The Lord's got some anointing words for y'all too. <laughs> Listen, listen, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm reading verse 10, 14 and uh, 29. By that, 
we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. How much worse punishment do you suppose will He be thought worthy of who has uh, trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sacrificed a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? Say that with me. It's about the blood. Cleanses, but it also prevents. Amen? A friend of mine who was my uh, hermeneutics and homiletics teacher and uh, you know, a tremendous man of God and was very gracious towards us at the time that we knew him in Springfield, Missouri. He went on to be a highly, in fact, uh, one of the highest decorated chaplains in the history of the United States Army. But uh, he said when he was at Harvard in a master's program, he got a phone call. And uh, he said, this lady, he said, would you, you know, come over and pray? And what she meant was, I want you to come over and pray because I'm up to no good. Well, he had the forethought to bring an associate pastor with him. He was on staff at a church at the same time, and, and they went over there. When they got into the house, she said, come on in the house. And so they did. So, come on over back to the bedroom. When they got to the bedroom, she was in the bed with nothing on. You see, she said, would you pray for me? And uh, he said, Okay. <laughs> And he told his associate, grab onto the radiator. He grabbed onto him, and then she laid hands on her hand and prayed for her. And I'm telling you what, that's a moment for you to say what? I plead. I what? I plead the blood. Say, I plead the blood. That forethought and that wisdom, unfortunately, did not carry forward in his life. And he uh, pastored in Jefferson City, Missouri, which is where Governor Ashcroft, who we uh, got the, the thrill of getting to meet and become friends with, and he was there the entire time. He was Attorney General of Missouri, and as Governor of Missouri, he actually attended that church. And um, he actually had stepped out and lost everything, lost his wife, lost his kids, because of that same kind of temptation. Look at somebody and tell them, I plead the blood, not just after I wish I could just unzip your head tonight and pour it in there. The blood will work before. Come on, shout it out. The blood will work before as well as after. Before the pig pen. And uh, he had been in uh, service with us in Savannah, Georgia, and I had called him back because he said, I'd be happy to come back wherever you're at, ministering, and, and speak for you. So at that time, he was in transition before he became a U.S. Senator and then Attorney General. How many like to have Senator Ashcroft here sometime? Wouldn't it be a blessing if he'd come see us? Uh, you would enjoy that. But uh, he, uh, he was talking to me on the phone, and he was explaining what happened there. And he, this is what he said. He said, my family had been raised in this church. And he said, I've never seen a single pastor leave this church with their family intact. And he began, began to talk about how he protects himself when he's traveling, what he does and what he doesn't do. And some of that stuff would surprise you, but, but he literally unplugs and removes televisions when he goes and he's traveling. He's never alone with somebody of the opposite sex. He's never in a, in a compromising position. You see what I'm saying to you? People make fun of that stuff, but that's applying the blood before. Listen carefully to what the Spirit of God is saying. The blood will give you wisdom before, not just after. And how many of you could say honestly that you could have used it before from time? <laughs> Amen. But how many know there is forgiveness? 
but let's take our forgiveness and then grow. Let's learn from this. Look at somebody and say, let's apply the blood before, not just after. Number three, the word separates and sanctifies us. It gradually separates us from things that contradict the word of God. I want to just share this with you. There is a law I like to call the law of exposure, and it's really not complicated. What you expose yourself to the most is what you'll be attracted to. What you expose yourself the most to is what you'll be attracted to. And so whether that is some kind of media, you know, some kind of illicit thing, some kind of a compromise, whatever it is, wherever you're giving that focus, that exposure, that's what you're going to be attracted to. And it begins to have even a supernatural pull you know, in your life. But think about this. What if you were exposed nonstop to the Word of God? Yeah. Sunday morning is not where you get exposed to the Word for the whole week. Sunday morning is where you get the tools and the training, amen, and the encouragement to apply what the Word of God says. But if you'll do this, what will begin to happen is you'll birth on inside of you a hunger for the Word of God, and all that exposure is going to make you even further attracted to the Word of God. And what happens is the more you're in the Word of God, the more it begins to separate you from things that are not godly. You have this, whether it's on your phone or iPad or computer or in your lap today, you have the most powerful separating agent in the history of mankind. If you will get in this word and stay in this word, it will separate you from things that, does not, that do not please God. And they even trouble you. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is, is speaking and he's talking to the, you know, to the, to the pagan leader. And he's talking about what the Lord said to him. And he's quoting the Lord. He says, I am Jesus. Acts 26, 15. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Oh, if I could just have an encounter with Jesus like Paul did. Every time you open up the Word of God, if you had a revelation, you are having an encounter just like Paul had. There is no separation. The Word and the Lord are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We just don't think so because it looks benign. It doesn't look like a big deal. It's just sitting there. But I'm telling you, it's not a natural book. It's supernatural. And when you expose yourself to this, it will attract you to it further and separate you from things in your life. Jesus said this. When he's praying for his disciples and preparing for what comes ahead, sanctify them, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. What's the truth? Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have, not, I have sent them into the world so that for them I sanctify myself. They too may be truly sanctified. This is something that has escaped on Jesus. He was tempted at every point, amen, as we are, without sin. How did he stay separated? Obviously by context. We know when the devil came to sift him, amen, what did he do? He pulled out the word of God. I was telling mama the other day that, uh, 
Years ago, the tribe of Judah was having a meeting, a home meeting with Ben and Tammy and other leaders, and they were in a, in a little living room area, and you couldn't see it from the main doorway, and a Jehovah's Witness came by and said, would you all like to talk about the Word of God and what we believe, blah, blah, blah. And they said, sure, come on in. And then like 35 people opened up their Bibles at the same time. They walked into a setup, amen. As <laughs> everybody in the tribe, they know the Word of God. It's a Word and a Holy Ghost ministry, amen. But it sanctifies. Say it with me. The Word, the word. is truth, and it sanctifies. You know, I get asked a lot these days, what do I do with people who, who have pronouns for their names and, and they have, you know, this, this confusion about their identity? You know, ultimately, what, uh, what happens with them is between them and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to have to stand for their choices and their behavior. They have the right to call themselves anything they want to. But here's the problem for the modern-day believer. Do I have to engage them in their delusion? And here's the answer. No, if you do, you will become desanctified yourself. You can't agree with error without it affecting you as well. You can't. It's not about judging. It's not about condemning. It's not about harming. It is not about throwing people under the bus. A lot of these people are severely in need of a touch of God. There's no question about that. It's just a different kind of bondage that some of you have. But the reality is we cannot start saying things that directly contradict the truth. If you agree with error, it will desanctify you. You've got to stay on it. You say, well, they'll call me names. They'll reject me. It may cost me jobs and opportunities. It may be hard for me to do that. Well, that's called persecution for righteousness sake. You don't have to get into the debate over genu, genu, uh, you know, gender fluidity and, and all the things that go with that. Just make a bold statement that there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ, and see what kind of flack you get. Are you going to back off because somebody got mad at you? How dare you say there's only one name given among heaven, I mean, under heaven, by men. By, you know what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. So excited today. One name under heaven. Given among men by which we what? Must be saved. Here's the problem. That's not what I said. But it's the truth. And then you'll hear the commentary. What about all the people around the world? Blah, 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 blah. Do you know right now that the Lord is revealing himself to Muslims personally all over the world? This idea that he's not going to do whatever he can do to get a witness to people is a bunch of bunk and it's a lie. But if no one received it, if no one heard it, there's still only one name. There's only one way. There's only one Savior. <laughs> so it's not just you, I'm reading the Bible today and being sanctified. No, it's when the truth is being challenged in your life that you stand up for it, that you're being sanctified. I love you, but I can't agree with that error. Well, that's not very loving. No, we speak the truth in love, but we stay on the side of truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Um, some of you know what this is like to have a, a severe problem with, with tobacco. 
Um, you know, some people have a problem with alcohol. Some people have a problem with, you know, illicit activities. Some have problem with pornography. Some people have a problem, you know, in terms of, you know, how they treat people, walking around in bitterness and unforgiveness. Whatever that stronghold is, the Word of God will separate from that thing. Um, what matters is that you, you target that thing as you spend time in His Word, as you meditate and as you confess the Word of God, you're shooting that, that power, that supernatural power. Say supernatural power. That's a thing that excites me, Miss Anna, is I'm talking about supernatural agents. We're not talking about agents of marvel. We're talking about supernatural agents. There's supernatural power in the Word of God to separate you. So years ago, you know, Brother Copeland had... Uh, you know, about, uh, I don't know, several pack a day habit. And uh, by his own testimony, he he get under conviction about this because it was the temple of the Holy Ghost. And uh, he would he'd throw them out the window and then drive back and get them. <laughs> and some of you are laughing because you've done similar things. You've thrown that thing away and you go back and get it. You throw it away and go back and get it. And he did this for the longest time. He's just beat up about it, condemned about it. He could not, could not break that thing. And then one day he drove down to, to Humble, Texas, where Dr. Hilton Sutton was ministering. And Dr. Sutton has been here in past years. He did a Holy Ghost um, seminar for us and teaching on Revelation. And he's with Jesus now enjoying his reward. But uh, at that time, Brother Sutton was putting on a three-week meeting. Everybody say three weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks, two services every single day. Americans these days find it difficult to come to church once a month. One service. And they wonder why they're not sanctified. Moving right along, Pastor Art. I'm just speaking the truth in love. And, you know, um, there are some people who stay in the Word even though they're not in church. What I find is people who blow church off typically aren't doing anything spiritually on their own time either. Let's go to preaching, Pastor Art. You should move on. <laughs> just move on. And so he drove down there, and as he was getting out of the car, he put those cigarettes up in the visor, and he went into the meeting. And um, one day went by, and two days went by, and four days went by, sitting under the Word of God nonstop, being immersed, what? Immersed in the Word of God. And a week goes by, two weeks go by, the meeting's over, and he hadn't reached for them one time. By the time that meeting was over, a lifelong habit, he said he started smoking as a kid because he saw adults doing it. A lifelong habit was gone after three weeks of intensity under the Word of God. Hear me well. There's nothing, nothing that the Word can't separate you from. Except the love of God. But it can separate you from everything. You give yourself that same time. So I, I just can't pull off and do that. Well, you'll be hard-pressed to find a three-week meeting to begin with. You will find a few week-long meetings. But I can tell you what, you can have your own meeting. You can shut yourself up with the Word of God and convention after convention and resource after resource. We have never been more blessed. We have never had a greater opportunity to be sanctified by the Word than we do right now in this nation, which is ironic when you think about all the things going wrong in terms of holiness in this nation. Have your own meeting. Amen? Invite all the speakers that you think will feed your faith. Amen? Because they're out there on resources. And shut yourself up until you no longer have a draw. You expose yourself to the Word of God, and now you want this more than you want the smokes, more than you want the dope, more than you want the alcohol, more than you want the sex, more than you want the porn, more than you want to hate, more than you want to be bitter. It separates you. Sometimes you won't even be aware that it's happening. 
Amen. But we can't give ourselves license to remain into things we know the Lord wants us out of. You say, ah, I'm coming under condemnation. Don't you dare come under condemnation. Condemnation does not sanctify you. Turn us to mind to condemnation. Will not sanctify you. The Word will. And the reason you shouldn't walk out of condemned is because you may have a visible stronghold, a palpable stronghold, one where a human being can witness you have a stronghold. But by far, most of the strongholds in the body of Christ are not ones you can see. Some of the finest people I've met in the body of Christ have been people that had an addiction to nicotine. Get the shirt off their back. Mom knows this is true. Uh, my dad's best friend Joe out there in Arizona, the kind of guy that would literally give the shirt off his back. His dad was a Nazarene church planter. Joe liked his, 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 <laughs> his booze. He liked his beer. First time I played golf with him out there in Phoenix, he got done, and he turned around, opened up the scooter, said, Hey, Art, you want a cold one? I said, No, I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> And he said, me too, which wasn't true. <laughs> and my dad goes, well, he cut back all right. You see, he told her, you know. And so he understood that coming from a Nazarene background. But here's what I'm saying to you. Um, the Lord could separate that from his life. But while you're doing this, how about celebrating the things he's already separated you from? Like in Joe's case, selfishness. Inconsiderate for other people. He'd go up to, and I don't know what that Indian reservation is up there where that casino is at. It's what? It's the Honda one. And there's an RV part right next to it. Not only does he have one up there and have them for years, all these other people had them. And he would help them set them up and tear them down. And those of you who have RVs know you got to winterize them. you got to take care of those things properly because they do get snow up there in that part of Arizona. And after the ladies would lose their husbands, you know what Joe would do? He would take care of all of them for them. So what I'm saying to you is, while you're dealing with this, celebrate what He's already sanctified you from. Because God is not in this to condemn you. To walk out and miss everything else I'm saying for the one thing that's going on in your life. No, get a hold of the Word of God and watch it. If He did it for one man, He'll do it for you. Separate you from that stuff, amen, and give you victory in that area as well. Glory to God. Joe, not perfect. He used to tell these stories and they'd just laugh about it. He said one time he was on patrol, I think he was in the Rolla, Columbia area. I can't remember exactly where he's at, but uh, Missouri. And uh, he's on patrol and he sees this car weaving and he pulls it over and he's watching these guys as they're pulling over. They're throwing beer cans out, whiskey cans, all stuff on the highway like that. And Joe walks up there, and it's a, it's a judge, an attorney, and, and another court officer. <laughs> True story. And the judge, judge goes, Joe, if we'd have known it was you, we wouldn't have thrown it out the window. <laughs> and my dad says he's the best friend that he ever had. Amen? So sanctification is not, look how great I'm doing, and then judge everybody else. No, it's get into the Word of God and let the Lord separate you with the sanctifying power of the Word from that thing that is limiting you. 
Are you here today? Turn to somebody and tell them, I'm going to celebrate all the progress I've already made on this path of sanctification. And that should tell you that if you did it in other areas, amen? Anybody here ever have a problem with cussing? Not that you're going to admit. Not in this holy atmosphere. Anybody here ever lie? <laughs> About not cussing? <laughs> oh, where are you then? I'm in the right place. There are people that have told me when the day they got born again, got spirit filled, this stuff just disappeared from their life. They, they cuss like a sailor and they had to get carried on, they had to act on, you know. That's exactly what happens. You'll find that some things are quickly removed from your life and some things are processed things. So don't make excuses for whatever God's dealing with you about. At the same time, celebrate what He's already done in your life. And if you're here today, say, I'm here, and something's going on in your life, you needed to hear this. Versus, can't believe that. Why never? No, the Holy Spirit is not encouraging you to get puffed up and, and put out. Amen. He's just saying, you know what? Let, we, I've already done so much work in your life. Let's finish the job. Turn to somebody and tell them, let's finish the job. The word will separate you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Praise God. Let's just thank him right now for what he's already done. Come on, let's thank him. I mean, let's thank him. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father.